APU. American Public University is proud to present Innovations in the Workplace. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Wanda Curley, your host. Today, we are going to be chatting about plastic waste, reduction, recycling, and artificial intelligence. My guest is Dr. Oliver Hedgepath, who is a professor of logistics, supply chain management, and reverse logistics courses at American Public University. He has many years of experience writing about, lecturing, and talking about artificial intelligence related to many parts of industry. Welcome back, Oliver, and thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me here, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time talking about plastic. It is a very important thing to talk about. Absolutely. You've been following the trends and leaps in the area of artificial intelligence, as you just mentioned, or it's also called machine learning. Before we get into that area, what made you interested in plastic waste reduction and recycling? Well, I didn't think about it, but yeah, it, it goes way back. I'd say studying recycling and reverse logistics since about 2002. That's when I was a professor of logistics at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. I was there for about eight years. And uh, as a professor, I found there are many recycling myths about recycling things, and plastic especially. So I started studying those myths, you know, what is, what isn't. But also, in 2002, I joined a group called the Reverse Logistics Association, RLA. And RLA, they got me up close with plastics and other recycling activities that are underway. I went to several of their conferences. But we're talking about members like Amazon, Walmart, Ford Motor Company, Dell Computer, all the big retail and manufacturings are part of recycling. And the RLA is so far the only one large organization to read what's going on. It's kind of like an, kind of an education. They do even have courses. That's what I got started in 2002. It was, just, it was just being up there in Alaska, and we worry about throwing things away in Alaska. We're kind of like up there on top of the world, and we get our groceries from Seattle. We don't grow the groceries there. I mean, it's 20 below zero in the wintertime, okay? That's how I started. We're talking about some myths. Can you explain some of those myths to us? Well, yeah, people think most recycling is just thrown out anyway. There's a lot of percentages here, you know, and less than 10% of materials are estimated to be thrown out once they arrived at a recycling center. You know, there are two reasons people toss materials, you know, contamination from unclean items, like in a, a greasy pizza box. You can't throw a greasy pizza box away. It's just trash. Nobody's going to recycle it. They can't get the grease out. Other things like that. Plastic bottles. You get your plastic bottle and look underneath the number. If it's number three, four, five, six, or seven, uh-uh. It's the wrong kind of plastic that can be done something to. There's things like glass. Now, glass is not plastic, but glass you know, doesn't get recycled as much as you would think. A lot of glass is just ground up and winds up underneath uh, water pipes or electric lines or, you know, it's part of a roadway. They'll mix it in. And recycling, it's just so interesting how it, it does help people. You need to do this recycling, I found out, to get rid of the landfills. I didn't realize we're running out of space in America and Alaska, in all of America, for landfills. There's just not enough landfills around to throw things away in. Basically, I found out about plastics, you know, Recycling plastic uses about two-thirds amount of energy to make a new one. So it takes less energy to make a new piece of plastic. That's 
kind of some of the things I, I learned along the way up there in Alaska at Reverse Logistics Association. I'm, that's where I got my education before I started teaching about reverse logistics at Alaska and at American Public University. Wow, that was quite interesting, Oliver. I was reading an article by Carissa Paul, and she quoted Chris Worth, who is the uh, VP of Marketing for AMP Robotics. And he said, each year, approximately 90 million tons of extremely useful recyclable products are thrown away and sent to landfills. To me, that is very troubling. And he also said that by 2050, if we don't change our habits, there will be 12 billion, with a B, metric tons of plastics in landfills. Why is it so important to start looking at plastic waste reduction and recycling now? It's a good question, Ash, now. You know, for, for me, who's been around this thing for 18 years, it's an old question. But a lot of people, people next door, they don't really understand you know, why we do this. That's why, again, I, I work with these organizations that do plastic recycling through the RLA, like Ford and, and other companies. But plastics are one of the most versatile materials you know, that we really make use of, just to talk about that. They're all around us, whether we're at home, we're at work, or you know, go shopping. You're on a holiday. You know, there's plastic everywhere. And as you may know, Wanda, there are many types of plastic and many types of plastic that can be recycled, but not many people are aware as why environmentalists and waste experts, such as myself to a degree, became a lifetime members of organizations that do these things. There are just so many reasons to recycle plastic. That, that's the thing we got to worry about, you know. Plastic make a huge amount of our solid waste, 30 million tons thrown out every year. Or plastic, you know, it takes ages to break down. Do you know it takes 500 years to 1,000 years for your plastic bottle to turn back into nothing but dirt? It is truly amazing that, and you, you put it in the landfill, and you know what you're doing. You're, you, know, you go to waste facilities, and they're really overburdened, and it just leads from one problem to another. It's harmful to the environment, and if things weren't enough, plastics get in the ocean. Have you heard about that floating island of plastic out there in the Pacific? You know how big that thing is? I will tell you how big it is. You know what the size of Texas looks like on a map? Okay. Double the size of Texas. Now think about that for a minute. Texas is big enough. And you've got this island out there that's just floating around, all linked together. It's killing fish. And if you're out there having a nice sail in your sailboat from, I think it's from Hawaii, it's not off the coast immediately Hawaii, but it's between Hawaii and, and land. But if you're in a sailboat and you're sailing along, having a nice vacation, and you hit that thing, it's going to take a long while to figure out how to untangle everything and get out. I, I just imagine how things are doing that. There's a lot of things of plastics. You know, some can be recycled, some cannot. Do you see manufacturers... You said some can be recycled and some cannot. Do you see manufacturers switching to the types of plastics that are recyclable? I mean, why would they make plastics that are not recyclable? It costs money. It's cheaper to make it, you know, in that sense. That's what it used to be cheaper. But they are trying to figure out how to do it. For example, that nice plastic water bottle you started drinking, oh, let's say 10, 15 years ago. Nice, hard plastic bottle. I mean, you could bang it on a nail and drive a nail. I mean, it was hard, like a glass. Well, you go to the grocery store now, and you pick up your bottles of water, and you start to drink it, 
and you squeeze it, it's like, holy cow. You got to be careful holding it when you put the lid off because you'll squeeze the water out. It is so skinny, so thin. They are trying that. What they've done is they're recycling the type of plastic that was used, and this plastic can be recycled. They are doing that, and they're learning how to use plastics for things like compact discs, to plastic forks. Now, plastic forks are not supposed to be good, but they are redoing plastic forks that can disintegrate into other chemicals that can be recycled into plastic forks again. And the medicine bottles are repackaging, you know, and disposable cups are changing. They used to have disposable cups that last forever, styrofoam and milk bottles the same, but they are changing. They are trying to change, but boy, it, it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. Uh, as always, money's driving the bottom line. And they're out to make a profit, but they also need to be good corporate citizens of the environment as well. So other than AI, what are some other ways to reduce plastics? Is it conceivable that we will eventually recycle all plastics? No. How about that? Yeah, like that? No, 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 no. Well, not in my lifetime. Maybe not your lifetime. Not in, I don't think, probably in the next 20 years, maybe. Somebody might get close to it, but there are so many different types of plastic and the chemicals that are made of, and it is hard to recycle those. A lot of reasons add to it. You see plastic bottles that are just, you know, nice, clear plastic bottles. Well, there are some chemicals that are added to it. And you may have a plastic bottle that's, oh, it's a nice little color. It may be green. It may be orange. It may be a little light blue. Isn't that pretty? Well, the chemical that makes that color is not recyclable. And so you boil down this thing for the recycling, and then you got, you, got, you got the plastic going here and all mixed with it with this color thing. The chemicals, it causes it not to be recycled. It's not cost-effective. It's just not cost-effective. So I don't think that in the foreseeable future, I'll say, give me a time frame. I would say it for all the plastics we got out there, it'll probably be another, goodness, 20 years, maybe 15 years before science says, here's how we can do it cost-effective. You have to remember, cost-effective. And who's going to pay for you to do it? Your company, is Dell going to do it? Is Ford going to do it? Is Walmart going to do it? So how does robotic AI help with recycling plastics? And is it cost-effective right now? Oh, that's a good one. Robot recycle sorting uses artificial intelligence and robots to sort plastics right now. They're using AI robots to sort plastics so humans, so you and I, if we got hired, don't have to do it. You know, with advanced cameras and technologies, these companies are counting on robots to sort in the recycling. And they reduce the health risk also. Because uh, according to a report I read recently, recycling workers are twice as likely to be injured on the job as any other worker. Now think about it. You're standing there taking plastic bottles off or pizza boxes off the assembly line and you're going to get injured twice as much as regular workers in a job. But then if you think about all the waste that's thrown away, people throw away things that are sharp. I mean, people throw away saw blades. They throw away saws. They throw away nails. They throw away things that they grab through their gloved hand, and all of a sudden there's a nail sticking in. Or they might accidentally pick something up to throw in a real trash bin, and it's a saw. And if you don't do it right, you just sliced your leg. Well, I had no idea 
that they had to deal with such hazardous materials. I'll call them hazardous materials. It does get that way. And robots and AI, the cameras and the high-tech computer systems, they're being trained to recognize specific objects, you know, that will you know, guide the robot's arm over a conveyor belt and reach and get that target. So if there's something there to get the safe, robot can do it versus a human finger. And those oversized fingers got sensors on them and they're attached to an arm. You know, it's like a person. It can snag the can, it can snag the glass, snag the plastic containers and any other recyclable items you program it to. The recycling robots are still assisting the humans now. But companies have found that they can work two times as fast as humans. So industry leaders are developing robots that can you know, identify different colors and textures and shapes and size of the plastic materials. And this technology can, you know, it just increases the output, doubles the value. A lot of things like happen, but you might lose your job. Yeah, but hopefully there's another one that you can do. Yes, we've talked about how AI will be replacing a lot of humans, but it will also create jobs, just as all technology has done. So you you said it's kind of complicated to sort plastics because there's all kinds of other stuff in there. And you did talk about the AI learning, but you said it was programmed. Does somebody have to program the learning in there, or does the AI... Uh, learn on its own once it's programmed once? Ah, that's a good question. What I'm finding in my studies of AI and robotics since about 1985, when I started in AI, and I found out that we were programming in the early days of AI and robotic systems, we programmed it to go look for certain things. We used to have our AI robot systems in the early days that uh, we programmed to go pick up this red thing you know, or this blue thing, or follow these instructions. We would take the actual 17 feet of Army regulations and type it in to code words for the AI system to follow those rules. However, as you know, humans don't necessarily need regulations to do your work. There are some things you do that aren't in the rule book, and the robot would, like, make a mistake. That's like the early days of AI robot cars that would be driving down the street and all of a sudden, they turn left because the highway is black, and so is the shadow of the tree on the left-hand side that it would turn left and follow right into the tree. Now, what we've changed, we learned, I guess, the last 15 years, we got smarter. The programming is such that we programmed a computer to study behavior patterns, to study traits. We tell it you're supposed to go to pick up the dirt. Okay, on your floor. You're, you've got a robot that cleans your floor. It's not going to go pick up your dog. It knows certain things to look for, you know, dust particles and stuff like this. But it's not going to go pick up the Hershey bar you dropped on the floor at Christmas time as you were giving them out to everybody. It's just going to bypass that. It can be programmed, but then there might be different kinds of dust or dirt that it picks up. You know, you can pick up dirt, but then you might drop cat box litter. You drop that on the floor, it says it reprograms itself to, huh, I think I'll pick this up, and it picks it up. And if you don't want it to pick it up, you kind of, you know, you can stop it. Interesting, interesting. So I read about a Canadian company. It's called Metaspectral, and it sorts plastics. That's what they do. It received grants from the Canadian government of $300,000 to really get it going. Do you see more grants coming along from the government? How about from venture capitalists? Uh, now, that is a good question I hope everybody hears for those who 
want to start their own research program. My AI company, my Army AI Center, 1985-1990, the U.S. government gave me $20 million. Now, what am I going to do with $20 million? I went out and bought every upgrade computer I could, and we analyzed systems. But the government today is even more so. The U.S. government is deeply involved in recycling because it's environmentally friendly. The government is worried about the environment. They're worried about the air, air pollution, water pollution, ground pollution, all kinds of pollution. And they have money available for disposing of you know, waste material. One of the sources, a really great source, is something called Database of State Incentives for Renewable and Efficiency, acronym DESIRE, D-S-I-R-E. So look up D-S-I-R-E, and it has government environmental grants at all levels of government, high level and low level, as well as state level too. And if you're a member of the Reverse Logistics Association, guess what? The government is part of the membership, too. And so all these companies, Dell and Walmart and individuals like me and you, we're college professors. We'd like to have some government research grants to study something in recycling. Well, you go straight to the government or go through these organizations like RLA, and you get linked into, here's a government possibility, and you fill out the application form and go for it. We've had that happen in the past. I had one of those research grants at the University of Alaska, I filled out to do some recycling studies. And it's, it's not easy. you got to fill out a lot of forms. But it is there. The U.S. government, and it's not the president or Congress. It's the whole government. Everybody's involved, whether you're on the Democrat or Republican side. It's something everybody is doing. So it is out there. Even the Ford Foundation has a large sum of money for grants, programs, now, very little of it is available for private business. Okay, a little business is not going to make it. But if you're smart enough as a professor, for example, and you want to do some research, you can contact Ford for online grants on the Foundation Center, and it's a wonderful resource for searching for private money that you can use. There are companies out there like Ford Foundation who are really trying to do things like this. That's incredible. I, I had no idea. So what are the pros of robotic sorting. You talked about humans getting hurt and robots obviously can't get hurt, but I assume there's also cons. So could you give us some more pros and cons on robotic sorting? Oh, man, that's interesting. And yeah, the pros and cons changed over the last uh, 20 or 30 years. But let me talk about the pros and cons in terms of maybe some advantages. There's a reduced reliance on manual sorters, for example, manually sorting things. Uh, materials recovery facilities across the U.S. are struggling to hire and retain workers. People don't want to go to work. This pandemic has caused people not to go to work. They don't want to stand elbow to elbow picking up stuff off an assembly line. So we need something to help out. They've started using AI-powered robots, and they replace about one or two workers by doing that. So a robot can do the work of nearly two people. So it's, it's very worthwhile. There's quicker shorting that's going on. It's a good thing. Current robot techniques, you know, they use cameras to look at each product coming off in the line. And they use data that's been stored over time and analyzed where it goes. This also means robots can continually be updated and add data to materials. It gets smarter. It learns, you know, going down the line. The benefits are, again, increasing and soon they'll be able to make necessary adjustments on their own, too. So there's improved knowledge. Optical shorters, for example, can detect, you know, specific types of materials. They increase their knowledge over time. They learn. The AI system, as you talked about before, they are learning what's coming down the line 
so all sorts of potential. Good thing for, for doing this. Another advantage is uh, robots are able to store data, lots of data. And they store more data than you and I can. For example, I, I remember reading on this pandemic, for example. During the pandemic research this last year, there are about 500 professional articles a day around the world on how to help fix COVID-19 or something related to it. Well, nobody can read all those. They've got AI systems that are reading those, finding the things that work, and sending that summary, those specific things from all those articles each day, 24 hours a day, to the professors and the scientists in the research labs. And that's one of the reasons we came up so fast with a cure for COVID-19. AI was part of this cure. And then obviously, you know, like quality control. The AI system, you're more precise, it's quicker. Plastics being picked out, other things, all the plastics being picked out of men. It just does it better than a human. Now, of course, like you said before, humans will lose their jobs. So today we are speaking to Dr. Oliver Hedgepath regarding plastic waste reduction, recycling, and artificial intelligence. We are taking a break and we will be right back. At American Public University, we believe quality education must be more affordable. That's why as a leader in online higher education, we focus on minimizing costs and maximizing return on learner investment. And we believe higher education must be more accessible. So our online programs start every month. American Public University, within reach, without limits. Learn more at AmericanPublicU.com. Welcome back, Dr. Hedgepath. Dr. Hedgepath and I are chatting about plastic waste reduction, recycling, and artificial intelligence. So, Oliver, how fast do you see this industry growing? The growth is phenomenal. They're coming for your trash. Robots and ads coming for your trash. There's 64 million tons of glass and plastic and paper that's dirty and, and mind-numbing work. And they're being replaced. There's a company, uh, Mantaya Horowitz, AMP Robots. They're trying to take humans off the job, I think, but they're just building better systems. Their Virginia Recycling Center in Roanoke, I live here in Virginia, has got some, looks like a spider web, spider. It's a 300-pound robot that sorts through unending lines of trash. I think there's a nation's 600-plus recycling facilities. we got recycling facilities, 600 of them. And they're processing all these millions of tons of waste. So it's underway. Like I said, the government understands it. They want to have a better environment. During this pandemic, when people were stopping working, all of a sudden you could see the mountains around Los Angeles because there was no emissions from the cars. People started thinking, wow, we can have a cleaner and a better society. And so the discussion started doing that. So it is increasing for a number of reasons, not just scientists who want to do something because they're scientists, not just because experts and professors of recycling like me, who belong to Reverse Logistics Association and other organizations that study it and we are interested in it. It's because it seems to be naturally a natural growth. We're getting healthier. It's like people living longer. My parents died a lot younger than I am today, and we've got better medicine treatment for us to live to be 100. I look at a TV program every morning. They used to announce the birthdays of certain people around the country, 56, 70. Now they only announce the birthdays of people that are 100 years old. 
you know, it's going to take me 30 years to get on that show to say, hey, Oliver's birthday is today. I mean, it is amazing. As people have increased their living abilities, so are living arrangements being increased by AI and robotics. Wow. Yeah, that's that's hard to believe. If we treat our environment well, then we as a consequence become healthier. So do you see companies that make plastics altering their methods to make sure that the plastics are being recycled? Plastics, one of my specialties, there are only two kinds of plastic that are commonly recycled in the United States. Plastic soda bottles and something called polyethylene terephthalate or PET, PET and other plastics found in milk jugs and detergents. There are all kinds of plastic, but we can't recycle everything. As I mentioned before, you know, there are dyes and flame retardants and other additives that we can't get out of there right now. There are chemical bonds in the plastics. There are some things that just are a problem. You know, chemical recycling is increasing these days, but understanding the plastic, it is still a problem, but we have solutions and people are working on it. That's the key thing. People are working it, okay? So, Oliver, my family, my husband, goes to the plastic recycling area about once every two weeks, takes all our plastics. But do you see the average consumer of plastics doing this and increasing over the years? No. You like that? No. No. Well, I look around. Okay, there's only 340 million people in America. Let's see. Uh, the 10 houses next to me, I have a recycle can out front, okay? I recycle plastic, okay? My wife is really adamant. She washes the plastic out and puts it in there and the can for the cat food in it. She scrubs it clean enough to eat out of and recycles. But down the street, when the recycle man come, he doesn't stop at any house but our house. And as a sample, I'd say, okay, there's 10 houses. One out of 10 is recycling. I don't know if that's a national average. I haven't really looked into it, but uh, as I talk to my son and my daughter and, and I talk to friends, as I talk to you, you're recycling, but you and I are kind of biased. We teach it, we work about it, we, we research in it, we write articles on it, and it's fun. But I would say the average person is still kind of unsure of it. And let me throw the pandemic. This is 2021. That pandemic that came in 2020 scared people from touching people, scared people from touching things. It scared our recycling plant because I went to visit them in 2020. And they said, we don't really want to pick up your plastic bottle that you handled and you might have COVID-19. Now, yes, our people there wear gloves, but, you know, we might breathe something. They weren't sure in 2020. So it's like, we're just not going to pick it up. And guess where it went? The recycle can went to the trash pile. And I saw the recycling area. I looked into it here in Richmond, and I saw all these big mountains of plastic that were being pushed together and squished together by a machine and put in a trash truck and driven away. People were scared. Now we're getting better at it. The recycle people have come more involved. And I think there's more news items in the newspaper and news media that are saying we need to do a better job. We realize we're doing a better job with our own human life, human life that we're coming back together, and we want to have a safer life too from not only just COVID-19 and other things, but other little germs that come from dirty stuff. So I think it will increase 
You know, in my neighborhood, it's one out of 10. It'd be interesting to see what it was in the country. But there are 600-some recycling centers doing plastic stuff. So that tells me a positive thing, that companies are out there pushing it. So we may get some advertisement flyers in your mailbox. And for those listening, please do use them. Yeah, it's quite a distance for my husband to take it to the where they capture all the uh, plastics. But Oliver, back in the early 1900s, there were no plastics. Do you see us as a culture or as the world migrating back to those types of materials? No, not totally. Well, well, not totally. Yeah, we are getting better, but people are growing more crops. They're learning to do things. And uh, can I tell you a funny little story? You know, one of the funny reverse logistics stories had to do with repurposing as a repurpose, okay? You know, repurposing, reverse logistics works in the world of repurposing, too. The product is a cardboard box and a cat. Cardboard box and a cat. A cat and a box, okay? Now, if you have a cat in the house, you may already know part of the story. What happens after Christmas or a birthday party with all those boxes that contain presents? For a while, they're lined up in the side of the living room or dining room or patio. And while, you know, all the humans had fun socializing, your cat had fun taking up residence inside one of those boxes. You know, and it's estimated that Amazon alone shipped nearly 2 billion boxes last year, cardboard boxes. Okay, we're not talking plastic. We're talking old-fashioned boxes. It appears also that cats have a love for cardboard. And there's a study by some Dutch animal shelter that cats came to an animal shelter and was given a box to do better coping with the box to acclimate their stress and feel better. And as a father of young children and grandchildren now, with memories as a young boy, it seems that boys and girls also have an affinity toward cardboard boxes and sit in front of TV and we're, we're getting a refrigerator box or a TV box, refrigerator boxes. Oh my God, that was a home I could live in or a washing machine box. So there's a lighter side to the story to all this as cardboard, but I don't think we're going to go back to a lot of earlier things. I do believe we are getting increases in cardboard, but I also see plastic is changing. I mean, there are plastic changes. So we're not going to go back to have no plastic. Now there is a, oh, there is an organization. Oh gosh. There is an organization that's pushing to kill all plastic bottles. It really is. It's out there. I read the flyer and they're all over my internet email wanting me to join well, I joined to read what they're doing, and they think I'm out there to kill plastic. There is a group to kill all plastic. Well, if they do that, they kill millions of jobs of people making it, using it, manufacturing it, storing stuff in it. Can you imagine going to Walmart or Amazon or a grocery store and trying to find something that's not in a plastic bottle? How many plastic bottles are out there or plastic containers? I mean, my chocolate syrup used to come in a glass bottle. Now it's a plastic bottle. In fact, I have some bottles of old stuff from uh, grocery stores sitting on my bookshelf. They're old, but they're only five years old because after 80 years, they went to plastic and they don't make it anymore. So you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, I mean, the healthcare industry relies on plastic. I can't imagine what would happen with them if plastics went away. So, Oliver, thank you very much for joining me today on this exciting topic of reducing plastic waste and how AI is used for that. Do you have any last words you would like to leave for our listeners? Well, 
Now, thank you again for this opportunity. It is a very important topic. And in my opinion, it is difficult not to see recycling as an area of particular importance as society continues to grow, you know, while you know, simultaneously working to improve our environment and reduce harmful climate impacts. You know, the only logical solution is really a well-established recycling infrastructure that allows the reuse of multiple materials from plastics to glass and paper. And do look up companies that recycle. Okay, look up Reverse Logistics Association, RLA, okay? You'll find tons of material. Read what's going on. Witness what's going on in the global world. By the way, recycling is also called, in Europe, circular economics. Think about that. Circular economics. What is circular? Well, you take your bottle. Oil helps make it. It turns into plastic, and it continues to be plastic and turns into other things. By the way, that plastic can also turn back into the shirt you're wearing, or the eyeglasses you are wearing. There are so many new ways of using that plastic bottle, maybe not for a plastic bottle, but eyeglasses, oh, they can be recycled also later. So it's circular economics. So that's what's going on in the world. And uh, people need to keep really abreast of it and keep recycling that plastic bottle, please, in front of your house. There you go. There you go. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We have some exciting podcasts coming in the area of artificial intelligence. So stay tuned and stay well. For more information about our university, visit us at studyatapu.com. APU. American Public University.